March 23rd, and today on the show, it's time to feel good again and sad. Yes, we're heading to Richmond to discuss the new season of Ted Lasso. I'll catch you up on some things you shouldn't miss this weekend, and then we head into the vault. It's story time. And before we get started, as always, I like to rant a little bit, talk a little bit, and today I want to talk about Shazam. My review, I got to go to the red carpet, I want to talk about that, and how tall Peter Safran is. My goodness, that man is a giant. All right, so let's just jump into it. Shazam, Theory of the Gods. We talked about it last week. It's the sequel to Shazam, and I got to say, I had low expectations for it. You listen to the episode, you can find it out. I had low expectations for it, but now that it's been a week, I can talk about it, and I can tell you... God, I love that movie. I think it's, I'm going to rate it like this. I'm going to be very open and very honest with you. I rate it like this. DCEU thus far doesn't include the Batman, to be clear. DC Cinematic Universe. I think the best one so far is The Suicide Squad. That's the second Suicide Squad movie. I think number two goes to Wonder Woman. And number three, I got to put Shazam! Fury of the Gods. They fixed all the problems I had with the first one. They introduced more plot, more characters. It didn't get overwhelmed or bogged down at any point. So yeah, I, I gotta say, it's good. Go check it out. Really, honestly, if you didn't watch it already, go check it out. It is a good movie. I'll be doing a further review later uh, on a newsletter, but just know this. It's a good movie. You're gonna wanna watch it. You're gonna have a good time with it. You can take your kids to it. And it's it's a good DC movie, and I'm hopeful. I know we discussed this last week that I was kinda worried that Shazam would get kind of tossed aside and nothing would happen. But now that I can talk more about it, I gotta say... I think they're going to keep them. I think, I'm hoping, I don't think we'll get another Shazam movie. I don't think that's in the works. I don't think we're getting Shazam 3. But I strongly think that Shazam, the character, possibly even the actors, are going to stay past the reboot. I think we're going to see him again. Really quick, I want to talk about the red carpet for Shazam, Fear of the Gods. Oh my god, that was so fun. Look, it was pouring rain. My goodness, pouring rain. The city of Los Angeles is not built for rain. So I'm walking to the red carpet, uh, which is tented. But to get there, it's it's rain. I had no extra umbrella. I was soaking wet by the time I got in. And I got to say, the red carpet was so fun. Easily easily my favorite red carpet I've ever been to. I got to meet so many guests and celebrities and famous people, some who didn't work on the film, some who did work on the film. Um, and I wouldn't say more importantly, but maybe equally importantly is the games. They had arcades, they had skee-ball, they had air hockey, they had that punching bag game where you punch it really hard. I got 724, just saying. Not meaning to flex on anyone, but um, we had so, there's so many fun games for free. DDR, I play DDR. Don't Look, if I could go back to my past self, Matthew, don't play DDR at a red carpet. You're going to sweat way too much. It gets hot in there. It was a dumb thing to do, but I had so much fun. Um, I got to get, there's all you can, and they had food there. My, look, for any person that's making a red carpet, more food, please. They need to have food up there. Not just the popcorn you get inside the theater, but this uh, this red carpet, they had Philly cheesesteaks. They had chicken sandwiches. They had pizza. Uh, they had props from the movies. I got to say, my favorite red carpet I've ever been to. I walked the red carpet. I got pictures taken. It was fun. Um, the red carpet was, at in some parts of the physical red carpet, was literally soaked that if you stepped on it, water just gushed out. That was not fun. <laughs> Every other aspect of the premiere, I got to meet James Gunn, who's the co-CEO of DC Films. I didn't talk to him, really. I just said, hey, I'm happy, and I'm excited for Blue Beetle. And he's like, that's cool, man. And I got me Peter Saffron, who is the other co-CEO of DC Films. He's the guy producing Blue Beetle. So, of course, I 
worship him and everything he's going to do with them because I'm so hyped for it. And yeah, he's tall, man. I took his hand and everything. And I got to talk to him for a second. He's a really cool dude. Honestly, I just want to tell you guys, I couldn't do this without you. This podcast, my social media, me getting invited to these events. Um, I couldn't, I literally couldn't do without you. I go because I'm the, the Latino token. I'm the one going to represent. They say, hey, we know you have a Latino audience that loves hearing you. We want you to help and pursue this movie and kind of promote this movie from your perspective that we feel that only you can do. So really, I couldn't do this without you guys. I appreciate you so much. From my crew that works on this podcast to everyone that follows me on all my social medias or some of my social medias or just the podcast, I got to say thank you guys so much. I couldn't do these events without you guys, and I hope there's even more stuff to come. I can't say more than that, although I would love to, but there's more stuff to come. DC, I got to say I'm excited for the future of it. And you'll be hearing more about all this stuff in the future episodes. I can't say more. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Let's continue on with the show. Welcome to the Storytime Guy with Matthew Torres, a weekly discussion about the most important events in the world of pop and geek culture. Movies, TV, anime, comics. This is your one-stop shop for all the stories that take your imagination to highs, sometimes lows, but always to a place worth discussing. I'm Matthew Torres, and thank you for joining me. Everyone, here's everything you need to know about Ted Lasso in 60 seconds. In 2014, Jason Sudeikis starred in a series of commercials for NBC, where he played a clueless but lovable American coach who heads over to London to coach a Premier League team. That's soccer for those of you that don't know. Now, the commercials were a massive hit, and soon Apple TV was developing the commercials into a show as a sitcom. And I gotta say, it's a wonderful show. Now, the show premiered during the pandemic, and it was the right amount of optimism, kindness, and sadness. This is not one of the shows where you just laugh, you also cry. A lot. The show continues to follow the fish-out-of-water character that is Coach Lasso as he coaches the Richmond Greyhounds as they attempt to win the trophy, but really, he's trying to win our hearts, and I gotta say, um, I think he succeeded. Last week, Season 3 premiered, and here to discuss it with me is my friend of the show, Josie. How's it going, Josie? Hi, glad to be back. I guess I'm becoming a regular, but also glad to be talking about Ted Lasso. Like, you keep inviting me back to discuss stuff that I love. (laughs) I was like, hey, can we discuss... Ted Lasso, because I love this show. God, I love this show. And I was like, does Josie, does she watch it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, she watches this show. Of yeah, course. I was, I was like, okay, hoping you would talk about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're going to discuss this show. And right off the bat, what do we like about this show? It's a, on, on the surface, the premise is coach goes to London to coach a soccer team. Like, what can you really do there? It sounds a little silly. But there's actually a lot there, too, more than just him. There are other characters. There's Coach Beard. All of these wonderful, zany, silly characters that are very grounded. And I think it kind of endears you to the entire show as a whole. It kind of just puts this as a, hey, this show is a little silly, but when it gets real, it gets real. So, God, it makes me cry. Mm -hmm. The way they handle PTSD, which um, it's not a spoiler if you haven't seen the show, but uh, the show deals heavily for, I think, all three seasons, or at least the the first two seasons, about post-traumatic stress disorder, of dealing with stress, and how it doesn't present this as this, like, big, whimsical, it presents this as reality, as losing your breath. I think a lot of people can relate to the darker moments of the series. Um, At least that's why I connected to it, because at least for me, I wrote it down just in case, because it's just so important to me. I think people connect to it because it never fails to be uplifting, and that's Mm -hmm. my thing especially throughout the first season, just being able to see these characters go through hardships. And there, it's just, it's so many characters and they manage to make it contained. It never feels too 
larger than life and it's a larger than life premise you have an entire yeah. soccer team you have you're dealing with the characters plus the the characters the characters are answering to like there's layers to this and they still manage to make it feel contained i also like that nobody is one dimensional everybody has their demons that they're facing especially mm -hmm. like the first character that comes to mind is rebecca i love rebecca yeah. god yeah absolutely she relate to her on every level Rebecca, for those of you that don't know, Rebecca is the owner of the team. Rebecca divorces her husband. They're both super rich, and she takes the team from him. So, as you can imagine, she doesn't really care about the team. She's using it kind of as like a screw you, which is why um, Jason Stakas' character kind of gets hired in the first place. And so, she, yeah, she puts in this lot of work as this as this kind of female owner who doesn't want to do this. Then she does want to do this. Then she's like holding this tightly as her family. And she has so much development. And I really like, I want to jump back to what you said earlier about that there is so much uplifting stuff. Like I said, like, this show's about trauma and stress and heartbreak and, like, failing. But it never, ever ends on a sad note. It is always uplifting. It is always, hey, that sucked. This person died. Your mom, your dad, you broke up. You went in the relationship. It ended awful. But here's why you shouldn't quit. Here's why you don't give up. And I think that's, that is, like you said, is one of the reasons you really love this show because these characters are so realistic. You feel like, like when you see a character going through something, you're like, oh, I, call me. I'm here for you. I'm here for you, baby. Don't, you know, yeah. it's just, there's all the characters too. They, they even yeah. coach Beard, that wild, wacky I character. I love Coach Beard. No, but there's also so many aspects of the show, which I also think is why it's a success that you can apply to your day-to-day -day life. I have a mm -hmm. Ted Lasso calendar <laughs> and this, <laughs> this month's, um, image is be a goldfish with Samo Bisanya, <laughs> which is one of the soccer players. Yes. And at least for me, like I'm always so hard on myself. So whenever that happens, I'm like, just be a goldfish. Jason today, because this is his baby. I mean, he worked so hard on this character, on this show, producing this, writing this. I mean, this is his baby. And you see it that he is putting so much of his heart and possibly his own personal life into this, too. Um, I don't know the timelines off the top of my head of when he went through his divorce to when he wrote this show. They line up. I don't. Yes. I can't <laughs> tell you specifics, but there is a lot that I'm pretty sure that he could he probably took from that. But also there's Bill Lawrence and there's Brett Goldstein. And it's just a full room of just smart ass people writing really good stuff really good child okay so brett goldstein i'm gonna talk about him for a second okay the best character <laughs> so brett goldstein uh he plays roy kent okay roy kent is this like you you love him you, there's no other way to say it. he's this like grumbly like he's kind of like batman he's like grumbly and like mm, but he's got a little bit of a soft side he's the sweetest character every time you see him you're like oh this character is written perfectly acted perfectly he he's the the guy who plays that character is is one of the writers on and eventually I think producer on the show and he like wrote this character and he's like I want to play this character I think I yeah. I wrote it I could do it yeah I love and how he, he took ownership over this he was like hey can I have that it's like when yeah, there's one last I'm piece of pizza and you're like Hey, I want hey, it. I, I, hey, I ordered the pizza, so I'm not to pull that card, you know, but I deserve <laughs> that piece. And, and his character is wonderful. And like his relationship with Keely, just, and Keely's this like kind of airheaded model who like you first get introduced, you're like, oh, she's kind of like just weird. But she ends up becoming one of the sweetest, kindest, most genuine characters in the show. And I think for them to take this show and be like, hey, all of these characters are kind of bigger than life. 
but you're gonna fall in love with them. Roy fucking Kent. By the way, this show's not for kids. There's a lot of cussing. It's a British show. If you watch British television, you know they cuss and they don't hold back on it. It's it's fine. But yeah, his nickname is Roy fucking Kent. He's a re- he's a soon to be retiring soccer player. He's kind of on the end of it. And God, the way his character, especially in season two, he goes from A to B to C, all back around to A. God, I love it. What about you? Who's your who's one of your favorite characters? Jamie Other Tart. Than Roy Kent. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Tart is my baby and obviously Danny Rojas I just love their dynamic in season 2 just that challenging aspect and season 1 and just Jamie Tart because I love in Stranger Things Steve Harrington especially what mm-hmm. they do with him if people aren't familiar Steve Harrington is a character that was a bit of a jackass in the first season and then yeah. he became like everyone's favorite and that's kind of what they're doing with Jamie Tart, the Steve Harrentification of Jamie Tart. Because he was a jackass as well in the first season, but then by this season, they're giving him better lines. He's more compassionate. He has a lot of one-liners that are really good. And the actor is also really good at playing that character. And they've also had enough time to be able to be within these characters and these people that the third season is starting to feel so cozy and probably just one of the best. But again, Danny Rojas... Second season, that first episode and that last episode, beautiful. I won't say much because spoilers for people, but... Oh. Yeah, so for, so Danny Rojas is a Mexican character who in real life is from Mexico. He's an mm-hmm. actual professional soccer player who became an actor and joined the show. So he's doing his own stunts. He's an actual soccer player. He's actually from Mexico. There's so many little things as a Latino watching him. Like just the, just the little character moments of him, how he talks about food and his culture and the little things he does like when they bring up nuns or something and he you know <laughs> it's like oh, yeah. does a little Leo. <laughs> it's the, the things he does it's so authentic and i just want to point out for denny rojas because he really we're latinos we, we you know mm-hmm. so for denny rojas's character the actor Cristo fernandez um he is a i mean he lear, he knows what like four or five languages or something like that he's trying to learn uh he went to a um like an academia when he was younger. So he learned a lot of languages in Mexico and he is very proud of his heritage. He's very proud of being Latino. It's something that he pushes forward in the show. And one of the things I want to note is that he even brought up Nahuatl, the indigenous language of the Mexica, the Aztec, that he wants to learn that language. And just seeing a Latino being proud of who they were and acknowledging their indigenous side, their, you know, all these different aspects of being Latino and being like, yeah, I want to learn Nahuatl, the indigenous language of my people. I'm like, you are too beautiful for the world, man. Thank you. <laughs> you love seeing Latinos being proud of their Latino heritage. We don't see it too often, but man, when we do, I love seeing it. Danny Ross is wonderful. Um, someone else that I want to briefly talk about, uh, Sam Obasanya, the African, I believe is Nigerian character. Um, I don't know if the actual actor, Tohib Jimo, I'm looking at the cast list. Let's see. Um, he was born in London. But yeah, so uh, a big plot point in season two, without spoiling too much, is about his heritage, his history. In the first season, he's there, but it doesn't do too much. But in the second season, they really double down and make him almost one of like the core, core main characters, having a lot of episodes just devoted to him and his character and Africa and the history of just colonization over that. And man, I just, I was like, this show is dedicating so much time and efforts to diversity, to good storytelling and stuff. And I'm like, that's what I love to see. That's one of the other reasons you love seeing this show, that it's funny and it's smart and it's witty, but they also care about the things that matter. They care about, you know, the women's point of view. Never once do you watch the show and you hear like cringy dialogue about like, you know, anytime a character speaks, you know, like, oh, okay, all right. You know, Mm -hmm. you get to see these authentic kind of point of views of characters. 
And yeah, the the I'm not gonna spoil anything, but Sam Wasanya, his entire season two, everything, the ups and downs of that character, his love interest, whoo, that was <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm gonna give you a spoiler warning about Nate the Great. So, because I was like, do I talk about Nate the Great? So Nate is a water boy in the first season. He gets promoted mm-hmm. to a coach. Um, and I'm going to tell you this, even if there is, I think it's worth knowing the spoiler, to be honest, because I found out about the spoiler. Me and my wife found out about it before we watched season two. Mm-hmm. And knowing that Nate the Great in season three becomes the villain, or at least a villainous antagonistic character, you get to watch season two with that in the back of your mind and go, wait, how does he get from a hero to a villain? And I think knowing that is going to make season two more enjoyable because we're watching the whole time going, oh, oh, this is he's this is just building up yeah. to it. It's because so think- Jason Sudeikis loves Star Wars, so Rupert is Emperor Palpatine and Nate is Darth <laughs> Vader. I'm not even joking. Look at the no, design. Yeah, that's, that's Look at accurate, the design yeah. in the third he- episode. He's admitted to it. He loves Star Wars, and that's it. And I think it's. And this season, um, we'll see Rupert with a swishy cape. And that's the only spoiler I give. But I find it so funny because it's just him walking around with a black swishy cape. And I'm like, Jason Sudeikis, you are not being (laughs) discreet. Subtle. What's like, um, like, so episode one came out. I've seen episode one. And Rupert is the villainous ex-husband of the, 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 so there's like the good guys and the owner of that team. He was the former owner. Now he's the, he bought a new team and he Mm -hmm. like. I'm not going to spoil as much with Nate. He sucks. Yeah, Nate is this like, and he's, oh, what a wonderful character. How do I write that? But yeah, Rupert's office is a, it's a villain. It's a, it's like, it's, it's a layer. dimly lit. There's like, all. I'm like, he's a Sith Lord. Like he's, he is. he's super evil. And it's beautiful to see Nate have this like disgusting composure to himself of being an awful human being. Let's be real here. Nate always, I mean, I saw this deep dive video that discusses Nate going into why Nate became a villain. How oh, yeah. did Nate go from a washboy to a coach to hating Ted Lasso? And it was one of those things yeah. of, they, and I don't know your opinion on this, but it was like, the, what they said was that Nate put, um, Ted Lasso put Nate up on a pedestal and said, mm-hmm. hey, here's everything you want. And then he left him alone. And Nate hated him for that because he didn't know what to do and he panicked and he was on his own. And so he didn't know where to go from here. And like you mentioned in Star Wars, that's a perfect origin for a Sith Lord. It kind of balances mm-hmm. of like Anakin Skywalkers. Anakin's a Jedi now, but uh, <laughs> he doesn't really have guidance. So who's there to guide him? But the villain, Rupert, Emperor Palpatine. It's like this character that you're like, God, you've done some awful things, man. But you're hoping like, is it too late? Is Nate the Great? Is he too? Is he the Wonder Kid now, or is he gonna go back to being the hero? And I think, I mean, you already know, and I don't want spoilers, but <laughs> I have only seen episode one, and to me, it's like the beginning of episode one of season three, when there's the little spoiler. There's little Legos, and he like puts Nate the Great away from them, and it sounds like no, he's your friend, and he puts Nate right next to him. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of season three, if you, if any of you have seen season one or season two and you just stopped with either one, I think you should keep going and definitely give season three a chance because we're able to dive deep into so many more characters. Like you had Sam in season two, but now we're getting Colin. We're getting so many other characters that were just there in the background before. And now they're getting more screen time, but they're also getting more death. So I like where it's heading in that direction, especially considering we're not, we haven't gotten a full confirmation that this is a final season, but Jason Sudeikis is like cheekily saying it is. It was always meant to be, but they haven't like said it outright. And I'm like, can you guys just let us know so we can mentally Will prepare there- if this is the end? <laughs> 
I want if this is this is uh I also want that Lego set. <laughs> yeah, I hope this isn't a final season, but God, if it is, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this hole that Ted Lasso is gonna leave in my heart. Because it know. really None is a fantastic do. show. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. Season three is gonna think I be I think it's gonna be more season two. Uh, I don't know mm. what you wanna say about that. Mm. I'll say uh, (laughs) other characters getting more attention than building the overarching story with Ted Lasso trying to win the trophy. I think that's where this season is going. Yeah, what to expect, I can say episodes are longer, which Mm -hmm. is a little bit, for some people, it might be a little bit surprising since we started with like 30 minutes, but some episodes are an hour long. And I think that's a benefit they're giving them uh, considering how well the show has done. But Mm -hmm. you never feel the runtime. So for fans that are a little bit worried about that, you're going to be okay. It's gonna be good, and I the, mean, right, it, the writing. Why is would better. you not want more of a good show? Yeah, the writing like, is way better. That's what I think. Which that says a lot because the writing's already good. And like I said, if you haven't seen my last episode, go watch it because I I, I do like a five ten minute rant about Bill Lawrence and how amazing he is. And once again, this show is just so good. This is Bill Lawrence letting. I mean, you know, when it comes to being a producer, when it comes to being a showrunner, it's not just about. Like, you being the best. It's about surrounding yourself with amazing, talented people. That's what filmmaking is, you know? When you go to produce, you don't just, like, all right, I'm going to hire these people, boop, 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 do your jobs. You hire the best because this mm-hmm. isn't, you know, when they, we saw it at the Academy Awards, when you win Best Picture, it's the producer taking this. And while this is Jason Sudeikis' show, there's no denying that Bill Lawrence was part of this, that this show wouldn't be what it is without Bill Lawrence. And I got to say, I feel like, Bill Lawrence, I mean, if he's not the most paid showrunner in Hollywood, I don't know who could possibly be because he's given us so many good shows <laughs> time and time again. And some are sleepers like Cougar Town and others are just straight up masterpieces like Scrubs and Ted Lasso. That's what do you what do you think? I'm, I keep ranting about Bill Lawrence. I, you have to stop me because I will rant about Bill Lawrence for it's OK. I'm actually a heathen because I think the first show I saw by him was Ted Lasso. Really? You haven't mm-hmm. seen Scrubs? Mm-mm. Oh, it's I wasn't on Hulu, a TV person. Prime. I was more of a film person, and now I'm slowly getting into TV, especially with what we're seeing now. Okay, go watch Scrubs. <laughs> Do you have anything final words to say about Ted Lasso? <sighs> Just watch Ted Lasso. I think we all love it. <laughs> it's it's a great... It tackles toxic masculinity in a healthy manner. You have the therapist mm-hmm. in the second season, and of course, for people that do suffer from anxiety, it is a good representation. It is. It has empathy, and Jason Sudeikis... The man that you are. <laughs> and it has a Christmas special in season two. Who doesn't I like watch Christmas it every specials? Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Josie. We're on to the next section. What's it like out for this weekend is John Wick 4. Yes, this is the fourth John Wick movie. And what is there to say about John Wick? Do you want to see Keanu Reeves beat up people for the fourth time? Yes, you do. I know I do. So watch it. It's going to be a good movie. I'm excited to see it. I know you're excited to see it. We're going to have a good time on it. Uh, My review will come later. I don't want to spoil anything. But let me just recap John Wick. So for those of you that have been listening for the last 30 seconds going, Keanu Reeves beats people up. (laughs) So John Wick is a action uh, franchise where John Wick, played by Cohen Reeves, is a, a bounty hunter, kind of mercenary hitman kind of character. And there's this whole world-building aspect to it. It's really cool. And he just kills people in a cool way. The first movie is about revenge. The second movie is about more revenge. The third movie is about revenge for the revenge. And the fourth movie is about revenge for the revenge for the revenge. 
it gets complicated, but it's a lot of fun. And there's already... Like, there's some people saying that the fourth film was the best one yet. My God, how do you make four movies and the fourth one's the best one yet? You know what that is? That's called good character building. That's got called good storytelling. So yes, John Wick, it is an action movie. If you love action movies, go watch it. If you haven't seen the John Wick franchise, have you been living under a rock? Go watch the John Wick franchise. I don't know what streaming service it's on, but uh, look, it's good. It's entertaining. You'll enjoy it. It's fun. It's action-packed. Probably not for kids. Um, I don't think there's any sex or anything in them. It's just people get blown up and get shot a lot. So probably don't take your kids to see John Wick. Um, but if you love action, I got to say, I love the John Wick scenes. Every time I think, okay, how are they going to, to top themselves? They do. They just, the, the first movie does the great things. The second movie is even better. The third movie is even better. The fourth movie, is, it, it's just... How do you take a franchise that everybody loves and go, well, we're going to make it fresh and new and introduce new characters, and you're going to love this. That's what they do. Go watch it. I will tell you more in the future. That's my John Wick 3 segment. Praise be to Keanu Reeves. Welcome to the old time segment, or as we like to call it, The Vault. Every episode, I put something into the vault so that we can preserve a piece of art, movies, a book, a graphic novel, anime, something, 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 something. Today, we're putting in a graphic novel. Josie is back to let us know, what are you putting in the vault? Okay, today we went with graphic novels. And this is a graphic <laughs> novel that came out uh, just as I was gra graduating grad school. So I was going through the stress of thesis during the pandemic and this really kept me going surprisingly you're gonna be like what considering the title but it's called bloodless and bonnets for anyone on youtube <laughs> for video this is the cover it's lovely and i'm just gonna read the description so you guys know a little bit about it it is from the creator of the hit web comic my life as a background slytherin which is so funny it was so good comes a hilarious pastiche of classic romantic literature led by a trio of queer misfits and several angry vampires. So you have Lord Byron. <laughs> Lord Byron is literally one of the characters. And I think what cemented, yeah, what cemented it to me beyond being a wonderful piece of queer graphic literature, um, Lord Byron has curlers most of the time, and that is accurate because he used to curl his hair. And for those, so could you fill us in who Lord Byron is? I feel like you could do that better than I can. Yeah, Lord Byron was one of, he was such a drama queen. He, Jesus, we need a Lord Byron film, I swear, or a series. Lord Byron was one of the most prominent figures of the romanticism literature movement and as well as Gothic literature. He wrote a lot. He was known for a lot of debauchery. But just think, like, if the Kardashians were in the Romanticism era, he was a Kardashian. He was everywhere. Everyone and knew about correct him. correct me if I'm wrong, he was there the night Frankenstein was, like, mm -hmm. the inception of Frankenstein, right? Yeah, with Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley, and because they were all besties, and they all got drunk and high, and they just wrote all night, and <laughs> that's how we got Frankenstein. <laughs> Which a lot yeah, of people like, credit it to Percy Shelley because, of course, how could a woman write it? And Mary Shelley was yeah. like, no, I am the mother of science fiction. Be gone. Yeah, and, she, and 
we'll we'll discuss Frankenstein another day. I just when you said Lord Byron, so what's the story about? Because I will we'll go we'll start talking about Frankenstein and Lord Byron. So the story is about uh, I'm assuming violence and or monsters. Yes. Yeah, so we follow uh, debutante Lucy, who is pretty clueless, and she's just walking around when suddenly a bunch of vampires attack her, and she's like, "What's going on?" But then she wants to be a vampire, but Lord Byron keeps saving her and she keeps getting mad. And then Lord Byron kind of has a crush on her. So there's a little bit of romance there. But Lucy starts falling for this other woman. And then the three of them become a trio and they just start slaying vampires. I love the idea (laughs) of someone trying to become a vampire and constantly getting saved. By Lord Byron in a dress. (laughs) Like, you'd be like, oh, I hope vampires don't come out to get me. You know, show on their neck, and then, like, the vampire's about to get them, and Byron's like, yeah! No, damn it! (laughs) (laughs) That's literally a scene. I'm not even joking. It's hilarious. And I think it's, speaking of Ted Lasso, it's just very humorous, and you have these stereotypes of characters in the romanticism period because it still mm. follows that line so you do have the gothic aspect but there's also a lot of color to it um there are a lot of spirits in the woods and everything so if you love romanticism if you love classic literature if you're an english lit nerd if you like ted lasso and the humor in ted lasso blood and bonnets is for you <laughs> so question because this is the only thing i can relate it to uh pride and prejudice and zombies is it along that sort along of line? those lines but i think a lot more lighthearted because emily mcgovern's thing is all about clueless humor that's her brand i love clueless humor all right so mine is also about vampires but it goes completely opposite direction i'm putting in the vault blackula return of the king is a graphic novel about the black exploitation film blackula and i'll recap that in a second uh but this is a long-awaited sequel like Decades later, they eventually got the rights to this to make a sequel to the original exploitation film of Blackula. And so um, Blackula is a it, it's the original exploitation film was very low budget, but it tells the story of a Nigerian prince who um, it gets invited to Transylvania by Dracula. And then Dracula like reveals himself to be a racist, which can't say you're too surprised by that and then he like kills blackula his wife and then he turns blackula into a vampire and names him blackula as like a kind of like ha 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 you're the black dracula you're blackula and so uh, and then he ships him to uh los angeles you know the hood because it's a black exploitation film and they don't have a budget or the, the you know to actually make a film in europe so it's kind of like how did he end up in Los Angeles? Don't worry about it. Don't don't worry about this. And he like does vampire things and is eventually stopped. And you know, and this this comic book, while the first one is very much like a a kind of commentary as much as I could at the time about you know black folklore and black America, um, the newest one is is all of that. But now it's action packed because when it comes to graphic novels, you're not held back by budget when it comes to what you can see. You know, when you're in the seventies and sixties making black exploitation films. You can't have Blackula be doing front flips over cars and ripping people's heads off. He ain't got the budget for it. But with this comic book, we finally get to see at least what I think the original creators were going for. And it's that a dark, scary, but noble Blackula who fights Dracula. And that's like the whole premise. Because in the original story, we never get a... Con- Dracula never shows up again. He does the beginning scene and then Blackula, the prince of... You know, goes on his whole thing. And the whole time, you know, ever since I watched it, probably way too young as a child, you know, I was like 10 years old when I watched it. And the first time my mind was, where's 
where where is Dracula? Is he not going to go get revenge on Dracula? And now in this graphic novel, we get Dracula versus Blackula. There's demons. There's hints of the future of lichens. And it's so cool to see this kind of silly character of Blackula do this really awesome, beautiful, fun story that's violent and gory because... I love that. I mean, they're vampires. They tear people to pieces, you know? And it has something to say, especially for the black audience. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm putting in the vault. I love it. I love black exploitation films. I love, you know, cheesy horror films. And this, for me, when you were like, graphic novels, like, I got I got one. I know the perfect one. If we're talking <laughs> graphic novels and vampires, I'm putting in for those watching. This is the cover for Blackula. This is the artwork for it. Oh, what a beautiful graphic novel. Um, I'm also excited to read your graphic novel too. That one sounds yes. fun. Bonnets and Bloodlust. I dig it's it. So fun. I think I think you'll love it. <laughs> I probably will. so. That was the vault, guys. Uh, tell us, did you like what we put in there? Are there any graphic novels about vampires you put in there? Maybe Thirty Days of Night. Maybe stay tuned. Maybe we'll put that in there one day too. <laughs> tell us your thoughts. Find us on social media. Hey everyone, I just got a call from my agent that there's an English club looking for a refreshing change of pace at management. So uh, I'm going to go interview with them. Don't worry, I'll keep doing the podcast, probably. <laughs> my thanks to Josie and all of you for listening. Please subscribe to the show, rate, review, share. Follow me at The Storytime Guy on social media, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Doesn't matter. Find me there. Ask me questions. Give me requests. I love to see you. Don't forget, follow me on the newsletter. And one last thing I need from you, okay? So bring it in close. Listen in, okay? Have a magical day, everyone. The Storytime Guy podcast is a production of Sonora Media. It is produced by Carlos Arenado, mixed and engineered by Santiago Sierra. <laughs>